Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Sometimes this sporting world is changing too quickly for me to process. I just found out yesterday that the BDO Lakeside Darts Championship has gone from BBC2 to Channel 4, Murph. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I saw uh, a promo for it on Friday or Saturday night. I was like, why not just cancel the BDO? I mean, you know, why does it even exist anymore if it's not on the BBC and it's obviously terrible? And it doesn't have Ted the Count Hanky. There's no more Bobby George and no more Voice of Darts. Tony Green on the wire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you, Mark. I mean, it's it, it's devastating for you. You were the first person I thought of when I saw the the promo. Thank you. You okay, hon? Uh, sure, Bobby. You know, he Bobby was a little sexist at times, Murph. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's uh, kind of happened once or twice in the last couple of years. But despite the fact um, Tony has been commentating on the BBC for 38 years since the tournament began, I really felt he was just coming into his own. So plus there was the added bonus of the profile push he got from the 17 million, million viewers who watch Bullseye every Sunday night. That's, <laughs> that's still going, right? Uh, well, you can't find it on television. Not on BBC One anymore. But you can find it on... What's the name of that channel? That Challenge just, TV. Challenge TV. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Uh, yeah. Well, so McDevitt... Has been known to watch a number of hours of bullseye repeats. No man has given away more caravans in the history of television than Tony Green. Um, but one <laughs> thing that will never change, however, is the excitement that surrounds an early year GA victory in a meaningless January match. Murph Davy Fitzgerald has said not to get carried away by his Wexford side's five thirty-one to one-eight victory in goal yesterday. It's far too late for that already. Well, I'm afraid, Davy, we are going to get into it. Get into it in a big way. 3,000 people at a Walsh Cup game. Whisper it, but I hear Wexford men are back rowing Martin Story moustaches in support of the hurling team again. Mm, A sure sign that the good times are back. Well, I I hope so. Uh, I I definitely hope so. And I mean, what is January for if not to lose the run of yourself slightly at the result of a Walsh Cup game? I mean, this is basically what gets us through the dark winter days. It's producer Mark Horgan in for Owen McDevitt today with Ken and Murph. As you described it earlier, it truly was the sporting weekend that didn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere we looked, Ken, we saw teams that didn't really care about the result. Mm. Uh, whether it was Munster against Racing Metro on uh, Saturday, well, one team did care there at least. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the FA Cup, I mean, I suppose you could say that the lower ranked teams did care about the result. Yeah, I, Michael Owen said something after the uh, Liverpool Ports, uh, not Portsmouth, Plymouth. Mm. Um, he said, "If I was one of those players." I think I'd rather have drawn than won today. This is the the Plymouth players. Yeah. 
I think the Plymouth players would probably rather have won, actually. Yeah. Uh, but is I that guess to get it to get another game to get to get another game and to get to play against Liverpool at home and you know a big occasion for everyone. Um, well, I think they probably is, would have taken winning at Anfield. Yeah, I mean, surely. Uh, I think I think they probably would have. Michael Owen, it's been a long time since he played for a team as uh, small as Plymouth, so maybe the idea of actually winning him, you know, of how big a deal it would have been to them to win the match didn't quite register. Um, but the idea of you know another payday, another uh, yeah. another day out, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, you, you shouldn't sit down and watch an entire like three days of sport and wonder throughout how much people are caring about mm. what you're watching or listening to. That's well, I blame Europe. It's Europe that destroyed the FA Cup. I mean, everything was fine when, you know, English teams were banned from Europe. And even before, when they were only in Europe a little bit. You know, when, when there wasn't really too many games and yeah. so on. Uh, but really, it's ever since the kind of mid-90s. You know, Arsene Wenger's got a... You know, I mean, sure, he's won the FA Cup a lot of times, but without ever really seeming to care. Mm. And, you know, the it, it sort of was ruined by the... Probably Manchester United as well, guilty. Uh, this time FIFA, distracting them from what's really at the heart of football, the FA Cup and the league, to uh, prizes formerly thought almost to be on a par. Mm. Uh, and now the FA Cup is just a kind of reserve competition yeah. which I mean, sucks you- the life out of it. I mean, just takes the wind that it sails of the season at, at crucial moments. And uh, I suppose gives managers a chance to rest players, mm. but um, not that exciting from the point of view of the, um, uh, again, all Europe's fault, yeah. as I said. Munster and Racing seem to be the only sporting event of any real importance this weekend and a featured an exceptional display from the Munster pack and a pissed off Ron O'Gara. Liam Tolan was in Paris and along with Shane Horgan we'll discuss the Racing match and where Munster and Leinster stand ahead of next weekend's huge matches in the Champions Cup. Wexford hurling Grandmaster Liam Griffin will also join us to talk about the debut revolution and why the people of Wexford are getting excited. Grandmaster, is that, is that okay? Yeah, fine. Fine. I mean, I, I don't know that he's been granted that by the Wexford County Council or County Board either way I don't think either of them have bestowed that title it hasn't been ratified but I mean I think at the same time it's an unofficial title we loved hearing how we were making lots of our listeners look like complete weirdos in public last week lads apparently we forced quite a lot of you into laughing inappropriately on public transport or generally just in the company of others when you've got the headphones in listening to the podcast it's a surefire way to make the person beside you extremely paranoid yeah 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 I mean I don't think any anyone has managed to carry it off with anything other than a slightly weird Kind of after 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 taste for it's, everyone else watching. It's when you're walking down the street and just as you make eye contact with the person walking in the opposite direction, if you start laughing at that point, that's when it's the most awkward. Yeah, everyone's just immediately checking their I fly seem, to see that. Oh yeah, I seem to be on the receiving end of that a lot, Murph. Do you? Plus, no. like no headphones in. It's weird. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two of these terrible. two of these tweets since our last show came in. Our friend Anton Ingi Schwin Borsen in Berlin, who says I cracked up enough in the subway to get weird stares from old German ladies. Um, I'm sure it's easy to explain in those situations. Uh, uh, something like Ken's Ghouls on an Irish yeah. podcast as well. <laughs> uh, and Sinead O'Carroll from the Journal in Dublin says uh, one sure way to look like a maniac is to listen to second captains while out running, laughing to myself all the way down the canal. Laughing whilst running has something pretty maniacal about it, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like you've hit the wall, but it also it has had catastrophic effect on your brain function. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> no one's doubting uh, at least that you're going that you have run for at least twenty six miles if you're laughing to yourself while running. I mean, people 
did presume, Sinead, probably that you had just finished a marathon. I really hope she was doing a full knees up power sprint uh, down the canal with a, with a Bond villain style uh, laugh to freak people out while she's doing it. Uh, wherever you are around the world, wherever in the world our P-Bezos are right now, if you uncomfortably laugh during the show and confuse others, please tell us. Email editor at secondcaptains.com with the subject podcast weirdos or tweet us at secondcaptains. Uh, okay, Simon, Leinster and Munster are both top of their pools and are favourites to get home quarterfinals at this point. Um, yep. They both seem to have developed and improved to such an extent over this season that um, it doesn't really seem at all outlandish at this point to to suggest that they could both go on and win the whole thing. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly your perceptions change. I mean, it literally is a few months since all the Irish teams are out of Europe. And not just that, it just felt as if the French and English were moving away from them. And now all of a sudden, looks like home quarterfinals if things go to plan in the last couple of games for Munster and Leinster. Connacht have a really good chance of getting second place, I would say. Ulster, an outside chance of getting second place. So all four doing okay. But Leinster and Munster in particular just totally revamped styles of play more than anything. And um, Anton Klaassen, actually, the Racing number eight, was saying after the Munster game, you know, I would say Munster have what it takes to get to a quarterfinal. And it could be a home quarterfinal. And if it's a home quarterfinal, then you're probably in a semifinal. And then it's just the draw of whether you get the home semifinal or not. That seems mm. to dictate so much in this competition. And then if they're in a home semifinal, well, then obviously they can win the competition. You would say they're not quite as talented as the very top teams in the competition, but... They can win the thing. Okay, Liam Tolan and Shane Horgan join us now. Hope you're both well, lads. Good, good, good. Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, Liam, so Munster annihilate the French champions and get a bonus point in Paris. Um, Sports people rarely admit to talking about fate, but how long can this run continue? Do you know what? I think that that the the weekend hopefully will will put to bed some of the burden of the last few months, I hope, and in, in considerable style. And I think that... Uh, we in the in the other side of the fence may may allow Munster just the the space just to examine their processes, examine what they're doing, and just separate that from the emotion of the last few months. And I think if mm-hmm. you just do that alone, and you look into the stats of the performance, it was just it was so clinical, it was so composed, it was full of concentration when they were playing against an opposition like Racing that. Um, were awful in, in many, many ways. But to answer your question, there's another massive uh, fixture at the weekend and, of course, the, the return of Racing the following week. So I think if Munster stick with their processes, there's no reason why this run can't continue. But obviously Glasgow is an entirely different hurdle than Racing was. Stuart Barnes has started to talk to them, talk about them as uh, tournament contenders now, Shane. Um, at the start of the season, a quarter-final placing might have even have seemed optimistic. So how far off Saracens, Claremont, Wasp are they at this point? Yeah, they're not a million miles off. Um, there's been a remarkable change around um, in the last couple of months in the performance level of Munster. Um, it has been an incredibly tricky time for them, and they've harnessed the undoubted emotion that has gone with um, the last couple of months. But if you look more closely at uh, their performance um, and you break it down from a, a technical point of view, there has been um, a huge inc- increase in uh, the quality of their play. It's... Uh, there is, it's not overly uh, sophisticated, um, but it does hark back to some of the, the best days of, of Munster in the last, you know, in, la, in the last generation, in that um, incredibly successful generation, uh, noticing similar traits to the way they played, not just with their, their physicality or the emotion, their passion, but uh, they are, I, I'm noticing that they're, they are looking to get that bit of width on the ball as well after those initial um, one-out carriers. And 
I noticed both teams were employing a similar tactic at the weekend where they were they were both carrying one out and Munster were doing that a lot and I can be quite critical of one out runners but the difference in the way the two teams did it was really significant um, Munster their their carriers at the moment in particular Stander and O'Mahony um, Ryan as well huge carriers very strong big leg drive uh, fighting uh, in contact with a great presentation that means the ball is, is coming out really fast it's excellent rooking as well the rooking is clinical the ball is on a plate it's then delivered the next one out runner and maybe the next one but the, as um with Munster in days gone by they have one eye on the wider pass as well and we saw that uh, for the Zebo um try and we saw for the the standard try as well Racing were doing something similar and uh, they could not um, it was a liability for them to do those one-out runners because they were stationary, there was no body fight, and there was no meters on contact. And as we saw later on with that standard try, that came from them trying to uh, do what Munster did in one-out runners but having no forward momentum. Shouldn't you refer to that golden generation of Munster players and this group are always being compared to them and I suppose looking up to them and aspiring to be them. But arguably this back line actually has more talent uh, than those teams did. They never had, you know, amazing back three players, but you look at the likes of Zebo and Earls having their best ever seasons in a Munster jersey. Uh, Connor Murray's their best ever scrum half. They, they've got real pace and they're exciting in a way that even the greatest teams didn't have. Yeah, I think uh, Blaine Dahl is playing flatter when the ball, certainly when the ball is, um, when when they've got momentum going forward with those one-out runners, Blaine Dahl is prepared to get uh, flat and that's having a significant impact on the way they're playing. Um, I think Zebo and Earls are having a huge influence on the on the game. Listen, Conor Murray, of course, is, is he's having, and he's done so for a while, but he's taken it to an, another level. Zebo and Earls this year look like um, senior members and you know Zebo never really looked like a, a senior member of the team to me he looked like and this is one of the things we liked about him like he looked like a young gun um, who was you know maybe um, take a few chances a lot of balls would go down um, maybe a little bit too much not considering the team more as an individual um, but what we're seeing now is he's a core leader in that team he's making right decisions he's making right calls he's incredibly hungry to get on the ball and I do think you're right. I think there's a lot of talent across that back line. Now, um, even, and that was demonstrated in the kicking game that Munster have. You look at the kicking options that they have now. It's incredible. They have a great kicker at 9, 10, Scandal left foot, Zebo left foot. Um, uh, what's the name? has um, been chipping yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so they've got huge options uh, for a kicking game, ones that Munster never had before. Mm. And... Um, that adds a, a serious strength to their bow as well. Liam, I heard Rassi Erasmus being referred to over the, or being compared, I suppose, to Joe Schmidt over the weekend. Not in terms of success, obviously, yet, but in terms of his attention to detail and ability to fix problems, specific technical problems with players, whether it be in their tackle technique, the way they pass. He sees these minute details and then gives a solution, which is something we always heard about Joe Schmidt in the early days. Is that? Are you hearing that? And and also, what sort of character is he? Because he's had a really low profile for a guy who's been in quite an elevated position so far. Well, <clears throat> to talk about the detail in the process, I suppose in leading up to the Racing game last week, I looked at a lot of the the the, the stuff that Racing were doing, but I focused in on two minutes of play, the opening two minutes against Glasgow, which was their rebound from the Leicester defeat. And Racing were absolutely the antithesis of everything Irish rugby is about. They were appalling in their technique, their process 
and their attention to detail. And even looking at the stats for the, the weekend gone by, like um, Munster had 15 turnovers to five. So they gained 15 turnovers. But a key one here is Munster nine scrums to five racing. They were all racing errors that were forced into by what Munster are doing. So Irish rugby is so much more process-driven and focused on attention to detail, which isn't, in a sense, restricting Irish players. As Shane has talked about, the, the Munster back three have much more freedom around what they can do within that process. So they're not being restricted to a game plan. And I think Razi Erasmus is feeding into that in a sense that he is putting a shape on them. I think a huge advantage to the process is the out-half Blyandell, who's playing and, as Shane said, has the ability to alter his depth, etc. But it, the control and the comfort around what he's doing was absolutely for much of last season which is a significant thing but from from uh, Erasmus he has handled an extraordinarily difficult scenario in the loss of the legend that is Anthony Foley and I think a couple of things have evolved from that the first is the inadversity new cultures develop but I think a lot of these players that Shane has referred to and likes likes of Andrew Conway and lesser known guys uh, Ronan O'Mahony they have had their adversity and from it, a new culture has evolved. And you think back to when myself and Shane were playing against Munster, when Munster were trying to break through, their adversity was developed because they lost European Cup finals. This group of players have come at it. They haven't lost European Cup finals because they haven't been in it, but they've had a more human adversity which allowed them to develop that culture. And at the very top of that is the South African coach who is guiding, managing that emotion, managing the process. And I think we on this side... Uh, in general, have been focused, and the supporters, and I was in Paris yesterday, or on Saturday, and the supporters are always focused on the emotion. But to see what the individual players, and I think of Conor Murray's performance at the base of the ruck, the base of the scrum, the base of the breakdown, he really was pulling about five or six options. And the interaction between him and Andrew Conway for that try was sensational, because last year they were trying to do that, but they were mm. unable to do it. They didn't have the skill set to do it. They were trying to do it in the sense they were making those decisions. And I think that I think Razi Erasmus has given them the sense of confidence to go ahead and do it. But it's done within a process that they actually are ex- executing. In the opening 20 seconds, you could see them executing threes and twos correctly. Whereas last season, they were unable to do that. So I think that is a lot of that is torrenting itself down for the South African coach. Okay, Laz, I think, I think interesting on that, on that Conway try... Uh, Mark, um, it was, it demonstrated two things. It demonstrated, as Liam said there, how Munster can now identify an opportunity and execute uh, the skills that are required to score that try. And Conor Murray had two looks up. I see, I think the other thing that it demonstrated was had organized that racing defense where they made three, I counted three or four errors in um, their defensive system in order to allow that try to happen. And I could see Murray, he looked up once. It was almost as if he couldn't believe how disorganized they were. The winger, the blindside winger was in the wrong spot. He wasn't deep enough. The nine wasn't in, in the line, was in the line and there was no boot um, in case there was a chip over as there were. The uh, full back Imhoff wasn't corner flagging. He was out, far outside the second post on, on the open side. There was absolutely nobody in there. It was crying out to do it. But Murray identified it, Conway identified it, and they executed the skills brilliantly. So I think it was an abject performance from Rassing. It was almost like 
um, both in the way they defended and the way they attacked, like they hadn't analysed this Munster team at all. And you know, from from that perspective, they'll be very disappointed. But Munster could only do what they did, which was in, in which was um, perform. Um, identify what they were doing wrong and uh, perform the the prerequisite skill to um, to exploit it, and that's what they certainly did. And then the, just on the the Razi Erasmus thing, the, the other thing that I've noticed that's really been blatant is the monster defence and um, how they're defending. And just one point I picked up was. It's from as they're playing Zebo, especially if um, if the opposition are getting in maybe in 40 meters out from their goal line. They're putting Zebo, who's a fullback, onto the end of the line, and it looks as if they've got a five-man defensive wall up, which makes it very hard to go wide. But instead of coming up and leaving the option to kick in behind, Zebo just holds the spot. So the line speed is really fast, and that was the case all day. It shut down any um, potential uh, for a team like Racing who uh, who were thinking about going wide, but it also cut out the um, the chip in behind, which was the, rele- the reliever under those circumstances. So that's just one of the things that I've seen that has changed about Munster this year, and it's had a massive impact. And that, in effect, that sort of defensive line speed was um, was a direct reason why uh, Standard there was a turnover. Uh, they were caught behind the game line, and Standard scored that try. Okay, you mentioned how disorganised Racing were. Let's play a clip from Ron O'Gara's post-match interview because he was pretty cutting about his own team. Have a listen. We got probably schooled up front today, and uh, well, you could say we got schooled in the kicking game as well, and. Um, Maybe there's interesting aspects in terms of recruitment as well because you look at the key performers for Munster were probably all in the age of 26 to 29 maybe between uh, Murray, Blyendall, uh, Scannell, Earls, Saeeli, um, Zebes, Peter Romani, CJ. Um, Niall Scanlon was immense. Uh, Donica Ryan was immense. Um, they're a good team and they have great standards you know I suppose the scary thing from our point of view is that we have to go to Tom and Park that could be um, on today's performance beyond embarrassing and from a personal point of view how much are you looking forward to going back to Tom and Park well after that not at all because that's a kind of um, a chance to atone run yeah of course yeah but um chance to atone yeah it's, it'll be you start at zero again I suppose that's that's exactly it but it's um, it's great if the right lessons are learned if lessons are brushed under the carpet then nothing is learned from today so I hope we take the lessons on board and um become a better side yeah that's Ron O'Gara analysing his own team's recruitment policies live on Sky 10 minutes after the match there uh, with his references to Munster his knowledge of everything to do with them Shane his vocal praise of them would that potentially annoy you if your coach was publicly slagging your team off and clearly still in love with his former team well I think you've got to accept that Ron O'Gara is always going to love Munster and um, there's no point in, in um, moving away from that and it's a difficult position in uh, in that he, he's playing his former team and the emotion of that day in particular and coupled with a you know an absolutely abject performance um i think that it is it's good for the coaches to have a certain uh, um level of honesty in um post match interviews i do think they need to be careful though and i think um you know Ronan, given his his position there as uh you know as not the head coach i think it 
that becomes a, a, a tricky one and it becomes complex because there's political issues within organizations. But, you know, Ronan knows, uh, I'm sure, you know, Ronan's a very smart guy. He knows uh, his standing within the organization. He knows how it will be uh, received. And um, I think if certainly if it's um, if something that the head coach uh, shares, then uh, it can act as a as maybe not a motivation, but it can sort of make players think, especially with an organisation like um, Racing, who you know have potential. Although they are the champions, the potential to always have that idea of of the mercenary uh, tag thrown at them. That uh, um, ultimately, if you don't deliver for a team like Racing, uh, it is about recruitment, and there's always a, they have enough money to get different players in. And I think yeah, maybe there's a little bit of a nod to that in it. Joe would have put Claremont O'Vern on a pedestal when he first came to Leinster uh, when he was coaching you, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. That what, was, was would, you, would you? Would like, you? We we were like we were the Muppets, and they were they, every time we he spoke about anything, it was in reference to Claremont, and it took a while uh, for him to I think realize that you know we weren't a bad team as well, and we could um, you know we could we could fight for them. Now whether that was a motivation. Um, from his perspective or whether that was what he truly believed I don't know but it was really it was an ongoing joke in, in team meetings especially when that year uh, that we um, we played uh, Claremont twice um, that um, he had you know every, every time he was analysing we were talking about how good he was naming off all the players in the back line and always used to use their nicknames so he'd be talking about Row Row and all these great guys and how good they were and what um, how, how well they uh, were executing moves and how lucky they were against uh, us and the, the couple of times that we beat them in the years before um, so there is a connection and um, coaches have especially when they've done something special or they've won something or they've gone on a journey with a team I think you always have a connection with that you know that doesn't I don't think that's of any concern to be honest with you because um, they Ronan will have a very strong connection also with those racing team as well given um, the season that they had last year but you know don't expect him to ever have a relationship with any team like he does with the Munster because that's just not going to happen Liam when's he going to try and get some sort of role with Munster because it seems pretty clear to me that that's what he wants uh, you know what? I, I I was sitting. We were we were doing the covering the game Saturday, and only a few feet to my right was the Munster management. A few feet to my left was the was the Racing management, of which obviously Ronan is a member. And as the game was evolving, having done my research coming into it, and having expected Racing's lack of attention to detail to be a real vulnerability, it's such an antithesis, as I've already said, of what Ronan would expect from himself and from his teams that he's played with. And I thought that you, you simply can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. And that whole organization looks like it needs to be completely like killed off and rebuilt again. There's so much wrong with it, which would lead me to think, is Ronan learning more from that environment? I think he probably is learning huge amounts about man management, about managing a, a challenging scenario. Like the lessons he's learning in this environment will stand to him the test of time as he goes along. Um, but the reality must be he can't possibly stay there much longer before it starts to damage his own personal reputation. Remember, it, he's he's the kicking coach technically, isn't he? And I think he's the defence coach as well. So I'm not entirely yeah, his sure. His role how, expanded over how, time, yeah. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how the racing management look at it. But like if you look at the the greater global picture, you think Bernard Laporte has just been nominated or just been elected as the French president. He has problems with Guy Noves. Guy Noves, who's the head French coach, is old school in the sense that he isn't process driven at all. So French rugby is in a very, very precarious position. It's it's like and we were in 
in Galway watching the, the Connacht-Toulouse game, covering that news talk. And Toulouse, the beautiful, beautiful team that Shane and myself had the pleasure of playing against, they are appalling. They are just appalling in every aspect. So French rugby is in a really horrible, horrible place. Um, and I think that the longer someone like Ronan remains in it, uh, certainly in, in racing, it's real risk to his own development. Yes, he'll learn lessons at the moment, but I think he needs to look at, and certainly he looks like a man who is very, very frustrated about his about being where he was. Now, the, the question, of course, is when will he come back to Munster? When is he ready to come back to Munster? When will Munster have him? Clearly, he's, he's a phenomenal guy, but he's learning so much at the moment. I think that there's still huge lessons for him to learn before he transitions back to Munster. At the same time, though, he's you know they, he won a la- the championship with them last year, you know, and they got to the final of the European Cup as well. So it's um, you know there has been a success, and it looked there was an abject performance uh, by Racing um, at the weekend, and they haven't been good this year in Europe. Um, but you know it wasn't it, it was only it wasn't twelve months ago that they were you know hugely you know successful, and I do think there is a, there's a cultural issue in there. It's an, it's a continual battle you have to um, that you have to rage with with the French clubs because I do think the mentality is entirely different there. Um, but I would expect to see a better performance out of them uh, when they go to um, to uh, Thomond, and I do believe that we probably caught. You know, caught Ronan at a at a tough time there, right after a game, and he is, you know, he has always been quite honest in his assessments, and uh, I think there was nothing else you could have been under those circumstances. Uh, yeah, I would say that, Shane. But again, when you, when you're trying to figure out, like when you're trying to anticipate Saturday, so when I was sitting down last week looking at it, and I was looking at some of the racing stuff, I was saying, okay, what are the things that they're doing? Like, how can I just how can I explain they've lost three out of three in Europe? from a team that, as you rightly said, were the runners-up in Europe last season only a few months ago and won the top 14. Why are they winning so many games at home but yet appalling in Europe? And I had to dig into that. And one of the conclusions I came up with is that the top 14, by its nature, is when they'd sit down at the start of the season, they go, OK, when are we playing Racing? They're the current top 14 champions. OK, we'll put out our dead rubbers. We'll send our dead rubbers to them, to Paris, right? Because they're just going to hammer us, okay? So the types of fixtures Racing are winning at home are are not the types of fixtures we see Munster beating Leinster at home or Leinster beating Munster at home because we know there's a real battle going on there where a lot of the home games that Racing are playing this season are not battles in the sense that we understand them to be. And the standard rugby is, is very poor. There's a huge amount of walking around the pitch. The overall malaise isn't great. So when you're to answer the question about where Ronan... Like Ronan has clearly any team in the world would want him. He's a phenomenal rugby brain. In fact, probably one of the greatest rugby brains Ireland has ever produced. So huge advantage. And I think in the short term, he's going to learn massive lessons because he's been challenged in a way that he... Way out of his comfort zone because he must be furious and in, at, at how his players are playing. There are huge lessons that will stand in the test of time. The question is a part of timing. When will it be best for his coaching career to to start looking at making a change? And that's something that he only he will know. And can you imagine how you know how much he wants to change that culture at the moment? Because you said you know he's exposed to that same you know generation that we were um, knowing the way. Um, you know that the Munster team um, at that time, the Irish team developed, and latterly the um, the Leinster team. Um, that it must be incredibly frustrating for him. And and you spoke about the idea of of the teams, you know, facing weaker opposition 
uh, at home and that being one of the issues that they that the French teams have. I think the other one is that there's a complete acceptance of losing your away games. And that is just a cultural uh, thing that's been in French rugby for a long time that ex- that exists. And that, again, in itself must be hugely frustrating because that's something that uh, I think... English and uh, you know um, and Irish teams, sorry, Brit- British and Irish teams gave up on a long time ago. The idea that you can just give away your your um, away games that that just doesn't exist anymore. Well, given their success last year, I would say Ronan thought he had a lot of his work done in terms of culture and establishing that sort of winning tradition. But maybe with a club where you buy so many players and with a weird home ground, it's impossible and slips uh, so quickly. But just to move on to the Glasgow game. It's about as different a proposition for Munster and for Rassi Erasmus as there could be in, in terms of the way Glasgow play, in terms of how they'll approach a home game, in terms of the, the competition still matters to Glasgow. Um, Munster have a whole new challenge next week. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think it's complete chalk and cheese. There, there, nothing could be further from um, from uh, what we saw at the, at the weekend, I think. Uh, the amount of one-out runners that um, Glasgow use are, you know, is very limited. They um, look for a big offload game. They have a lot of width on their game. Um, tactically, they are much more sophisticated. Um, it will be really interesting to see how that Munster defence works against Glasgow. I think if it's implemented in the same way, um, I think they can be hugely successful as well. There's a, you know, what I really noticed from, from Munster. You know, we were a lot of criticism of them last year and in the year before, actually, about missing tackles. And, you know, there wasn't enough passion involved. And Munster players, um, you know, we've never seen Munster players miss one-on-one tackles like that. One-on-one tackles are generally missed because there's not confidence in the defensive system. And from what I've seen over the last number of months, and it particularly demonstrated in Paris at the weekend, was there is a huge confidence in the, in the way and Munster are carrying out their defensive system. Everybody knows um, uh, what they're doing, and that allows for a massive increase in line speed. And when that line speed is there, it, no, it doesn't matter how good a side you are, it doesn't matter how good your game plan is, it is very difficult to get the ball wide. It's very difficult to get fast um, uh, rook ball. And if Munster can continue with that, we've seen they have the best defensive, uh, the best defensive record in the Pro 12 this year. If they can continue on with that, and put uh, Glasgow under the same sort of pressure. Although I really like Glasgow as a side, it becomes very difficult for them to implement what they want to do. Okay, let's look at Leinster Montpellier, lads. Uh, so much praise being directed at the Leinster Academy system recently for producing the likes of Ringrose, Van de Fleer, Tyke Furlong, etc., etc. But Leo Cullen, who was under a fair bit of pressure last year, he's not really getting a, being given a huge amount of credit, I don't think. Are they better coached this year, Liam, or are the players just better? I think there's probably a combination of things, the World Cup, et cetera, et cetera, that happened all last season, injuries, specific injuries and all that sort of stuff. But the the, the, the big thing for me um, is the level of competition for each individual place with all those internationals now back and the and the, the, the World Cup put, put to bed and all that sort of stuff. And you look at some like Sean O'Brien, you say like, this guy is just our world-class player. But like this week he played at seven. I know Josh uh, van der Fleer had a, had a flu, which might have influenced the selection the previous week. And I was at the Ulster-Leinster game in Dublin. He was playing at six. And there's a guy you say, well, he was like your number one on the Irish team. And you're kind of saying, well, OK, who's going to, who are you going to drop to leave Sean O'Brien to ensure he gets a place? And that generates huge amount of daily competition and you talk about the inches in professional sport. Like when you know a player like Sean O'Brien may not be, guaranteed his slot 
that just raises the entire bar so so high. And then with with in fairness to Leo, like he would he'd be first to admit that the coaching job came a little early to him. But what's really impressive about him is how open he was to external uh, support, mentoring, if you like. And obviously, some of that came from New Zealand. Some of that's come from Stuart Lancaster, et cetera, et cetera. And his own confidence with his own academy. There's an awful lot of layers of positives going on in what Leinster are doing. And the, when you think of Tracy and all these young lads who are coming in, all have been capped now at this stage. There's so much competition, so much quality. And it's all been built on top of the five or six kind of de facto academies that are available in Leinster. You think of the schools and the directors rugby and all the qualities going on. It's all been fed into the, the top. And I think Leo deserves a huge amount of credit to have weathered this particular storm and, I suppose, to have had the bravery last season for one of his dead rubber European games to populate his team with a lot of guys who've never played European rugby. So he's showing an awful lot of openness to really understand the challenges that Leinster have and manage them as best he can, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Shane, yeah, I, I think he's sh- he shown a philosophy this year um, that's been uh, really forward-thinking, and you know he's getting more out of players than um, than I thought, you know, than historically we ever have. And I'm taking guys like in the front row. Do you look at the performance of? You know, Tyke Furlong, what, the way he's played this season. Have a look at how many offloads that guy's had, how many passes he's had. Same with um, Jack McGrath. You know, he's passed the ball more than maybe any prop I've seen in Ireland in the last, you know, I don't know, 10 years, more, ever, possibly ever. Um, the way uh, Devin Toner is playing, like unrecognisable. I'm not just talking about how committed physically these guys are, but their skill level. And I think what we saw from Leinster when they were going through a vulnerable period, and actually the same with Munster, we saw players just executing their primary skill. And, you know, that's important and it can get you a certain level. And being committed is important and carrying the ball strongly is important and, you know, um, being able to to uh, make your tackles as an individual, all important traits. But what we're seeing now is we're seeing props, second rows, back rows, the interaction between the team. Um, is is you know is, is much more um, uh, fluid, and that comes from two things: an overall philosophy from the coach, and then there is a um, a coach that enables the, pl- the players or empowers the players to execute those skills. And uh, what we're seeing now is is a number of very young players that seem very confident on the ball, and they're not just. Um, happy with sticking the ball under their wing and running hard and um, doing their their primary job as well as they can. They're more um, complex footballers and that's something that I think Leo Cullen has to take a lot of credit for. You're pretty sceptical about Lancaster coming on board. How do you feel about it now? I, You know what? I don't really know um, what his impact has been um, because I I really had the feeling that um, Leo Cullen... So you're still would... correct is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, undoubtedly. Um, <laughs> well, I think, I don't know the impact. You know, you've got to give him, I'm sure we have to credit him uh, with, um, you know, some of the benefit, as you do with all, mm. all the um, team. But I would be resonant to just say, listen, this is Stuart Lancaster, because Leo Cullen's the head coach, Gervin Dempsey is the back coach, um, and they need to be credited for the sort of work they're doing, along with the various uh, skilled coaches. Um, you know, Fogarty is there as well in the in the um, in the scrum. So um, 
whether it would have happened anyway, I, I think it probably would. If it's added in any way, then I think that's important as well. And only probably Leo Cullen um, and, and uh, his coaching staff will be able to tell you that. Liam, with the talent that they actually do have there, a home quarterfinal is kind of the, not the minimum requirement, but we do expect it at this stage. Um, I think the position that they're in, it, like you, you got to go week by week in lots of these things, um, and the the fixtures that the, the middle fixtures and how well you do in those middle fixtures of the six uh, pool games is is of huge importance. But they've put themselves into that position, and it's remarkable to think in such a relatively short time how when you get a few, when you get as as Shane is saying, when you have your your philosophy and your vision in place. And then you, that's augmented by the correct players being available and not injured and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, you can those 50-50 games start to go your way. But from this remove, I can't see why they cannot get to that uh, that home quarterfinal. And that makes them, we know statistically, if nothing else, that that makes a massive difference to your ability to get to the final. Out of Leinster and Munster, Liam, and Shane, actually, um, the two squads as they exist at the moment, do you think, both of those teams or either of those teams believe they can actually win the competition? I think that culturally and historically, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that they, they do. I think that there's probably within, there's a, a really nice blend within both sides. And um, for all of what Munster did on, on at the weekend, I was really impressed by the halfback pairing, how comfortable and at ease they were in everything that they did. And they just kept, the, particularly in Munster's case, um, they kept their their execution process was superb, but they they played in the right parts of the pitch. They played very like actually, uh, Rassing outran the meters and out carried them, but still, uh, Munster were very very clever. I think that's what has come in. They're, they're comfortable. I think that Leinster, man for man, squad player by squad player. I think Leinster's mean player is still of a higher caliber than Munster's mean player. Uh, for all of what Shane has talked about, you know, I think of the likes of Tyke Furl and these guys. So they're they're in pretty good places, both squads. Um, putting it down, it's down then to the look of the draw and all that kind of stuff. Who you play next if it's home and away. But I think still at this remove, Leinster. Um, and I was disappointed. I was at the the game in Thoman Park over the Christmas, and I was disappointed. Although in theory it was a, a reduced side from Leinster, I was disappointed how those players performed, which is a little worry of concern for me. But ultimately, the best side for Leinster, the best side against Munster, I still would give the edge to Leinster. Shane, um, I, I don't believe in, in, in destiny or fate or something preordained, but I do believe in momentum, and I do believe when you're in a in a team, you can generate a certain feeling or a certain energy, and it feels almost unstoppable. And um, I think Munster, are, I, I can see that in Munster's performances at the moment. Whether it's enough to bring them um, a European Championship, I, I'm not sure. But I wouldn't underestimate the power of that feeling when there's a collective spirit and a side. You think we we have this, we can do it. They know historically they can do it. They know they've been on a great run, and they know now that they're playing. You know at a level that that could possibly bring them all the way. I think um, I'd be pretty sure that uh, Leinster would feel similar, but for, for different reasons. So I think there's an opportunity for, for both of them to win the Cup this year, which is just seems you know quite unbelievable given where we were this time last year. Okay, looking forward to the weekend, lads. Shane, Liam, thanks so much for talking to us. Take care. Cheers, guys.
sent off. He's going to be on the card. A car speed. Mikael wants it as your side. Oh, Steve Blake, Steve. Oh, that's his head. What a magnificent Okay, Simon, aside from uh, Leinster on Friday night and Glasgow Munster on Saturday, what do Connacht and Ulster have to do against Zebra and Exeter? Well, they both are realistically looking at best of the runner-ups. So they both need to win and they both need four try bonus points, which in Connacht's case will probably almost definitely happen. And in Ulster's, given their current form... A way to Exeter is a little le- is a good bit less likely, I would say. But Connacht, the way their season's going now, losing Pat Lamb, losing other coaches, losing players, lots of injuries, uh, Pro 12 form, pretty bad actually at this stage. I mean, we were talking about them you know, sort of mid-quarter way through the season and there was hope there that they could maintain what they did last year. But they've actually slipped a good ways off where they were and a lot of the excuse for that is injuries. But ultimately now Europe is their best chance of getting something out of this season from things looking so positive it's now kind of, you know, they've got two lose away and they're going to beat Zebra. They'll hopefully get four tries. But to lose in the final round away, it's kind of, their season's hanging on that a little bit at this stage. Ulster, not showing great form either. Les Kiss at one point talked about as potentially a future Irish coach to succeed Joe Schmidt. At the moment, his CV isn't looking so red hot. Okay, Murph, where can people watch those games this weekend? Okay, so Leinster Montpellier is on Sky Sports 2, 7.45 Friday evening. Connacht Zebra is 1pm on Saturday on Sky Sports Mix. Uh... Uh, and that's probably behind the red button then on Sky and Glasgow if you have the Sky platform as opposed to the Virgin Media platform Glasgow Munster is 5.30 on Saturday on Sky Sports 2 and Exeter versus Ulster is 5.30 on Sunday and that's the only game this weekend on BT Okay so not as annoying as usual for people Not quite as annoying as usual but I'm sure normal service will be resumed next week And now we go to Scumbags I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned that you, not me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Yeah, big, big reaction since our last show to the news that Murph and to a lesser extent me are looking for a junior Gaelic football club uh, to join in 2017 in Dublin. Murph, a brief Mm. rundown of your requirements, please. Uh, Well, they were fivefold. Must have final call over my starting position. No sprinting under any conditions. I'll be on the freeze. Thank you very much. Will mentor kids at the club for a small fee to my charitable foundation. And only accurate passes in my direction will be tolerated. One, two, three, four, five. We've been <laughs> inundated with offers, mostly sneering, some genuine. Chief amongst them from today, scumbag Tomas, who works in AIB, who me- emailed us today. Uh, Dear Murph and Mark, or depending who reads this first, Mark and Murph, I just caught up on Thursday's podcast this morning on my commute. I wanted to throw my club's hat into the proverbial ring for the upcoming junior football transfer saga. I play with Bank of Ireland GA Club. I know uh, the irony of my email address is not lost on me. In AFL 6, we're... AFL 6? 
Where Junior B. I knew that would pique your interest, Mark. Where ju- keep talking. Where Junior B pr- uh, Championship perennial contenders who train in Clannagale GA pitch in Ringsend Sandy Mount on Tuesday and Thursday nights at 8 pm. All we have is one adult team. There's no underage structure or B team, i.e., no pesky minors or under 21s trying to take your place. We've no supporter following in the traditional GA sense and no local area attached to the club. Excellent. We are not linked directly with the actual Bank of Ireland. It is a club that was set up in the 1970s by Bank of Ireland staff and entered into the adult football leagues. We are no longer affiliated and only three to four of the panel actually work in Bank of Ireland. Mm. Now all that boring background is out of the way, I've documented the below six reasons why we are the club for you. One, go on. we are all country lads and, y- and you are both, if you don't mind my assertion, country lads. We are proud We're of We're equal opportunities teammates, by the way. Uh, two, the training pitch is a mere 11-minute cycle from the second captain's data centre and content creation hub on Fitzwilliam Street, a journey which Google Maps assures me is mostly flat. Mostly. It is conveniently located near Seanamore Park, handy for north or southbound commuters. Three, friendly atmosphere. We are all guys working in the city from various parts of Ireland. Kerry, Galway, Mayo, Monaghan, <laughs> etc. Probably no need to continue listing other parts of Ireland. We regularly get new joiners who drop in for training sessions who may or may not end up joining the club or ever actually playing. They're always made more than welcome by the club. We also have a raft of fellows who train with us who play Gaelic football at home and just join us for the structured group element of a tr- club training session. Ooh, structure. He's talking his way out of it there with that. Uh, yeah. No one is ever treated any differently, unlike many other clubs who might resist new joiners. Four, varying the degrees scare of... Scare tactics there. Well, I mean, you gotta, you gotta admire it. <laughs> varying degrees of fitness and talent welcome. You mentioned a varying degree of talent as well as fitness acumen on the podcast. Well, there is a pot for every lid in BOIGA club. Nice. As one of the senior members of the unfit and untalented contingent of the squad, I can tell you that it is a great place to play football for the love of the game, regardless of your current ability levels. We have a range of guys who never played underage football to guys who played minor and under 21 inter-county football, for example. Five, we are competitive. We'll be going out to win things this year. We've won the Cup two of the last three years, but who cares about Cups in fairness, and reached the Championship final and semi-final respectively in the last mm. two years, marginally losing in heartbreaking circumstances in both. We'll be looking to gain promotion to AFL, AFL 5 this year. I can't tell if he's taking the piss or not on point five. No, I, I, no I, think he, I think he is serious there. <laughs> AFL 5 though, I mean, I don't know that. And finally, we play in, Gal- in the Galway Maroon. If Murph wanted to relive his dream of togging out in his county colours every Sunday morning, look no further. Also, I can recycle gear, that's good. Fifteen-year-old gear, but nevertheless, hopefully the contractual ink has not already dried with a rival club. If so, all the best in any case. Up the kingdom, Sister Moss Curran. Mm. Uh, so he's given us a lot to think about. Nothing there, dried so far, Murph, but uh, others have been in touch briefly. Uh, well, I, sh- I should say that Thursday was very dispiriting. Uh, by close of business, we had yet to receive a single offer, and I had begun to doubt myself. Uh, I'm not going to lie, but a new day brought new beginnings. Ballybuckle GA Club were first in, impressed us both with their Photoshop abilities. Not all that relevant, maybe, but nevertheless, Ballantyr St. John's hot in their heels. Even though both of them pointedly made no reference whatsoever to you, I did feel encouraged. Uh, Portobello GA Club threw their hat into the ring on Saturday morning, and certainly they seem to be at the level required, which is, of course, an extremely low level. So we're currently weighing up our options. We'll probably go with the team closest to us geographically, um, because I have one concern about all of this, Mark. Yeah. And that's that your attendance record will be shockingly bad. So I think that if we can get you on a pitch within four minutes of you leaving your house, there is a chance that you'll go to more than one of these games. Ran Gales will be back on as well, by the way. Have the they? mighty Ran Gales. Wow. Yeah. yeah. A lot of talk from those guys in the past. How far down do these leagues go? I believe there is an AFL 9. AFL. So what kind of level you is You could AFL do a job players? in AFL 9. I would think so, yeah. It's for the still, aged. Still humans, right? It's for, well, yeah. It's for the aged and infirm. What's, what counts as aged? Oh, 40 plus. So, 
you're a, you're still a young gun, Ken, in the AFL nine realm. I mean, there are not many places where you could classify as a young gun, so maybe AFL nine's the place to be. For now, we're still free agents, but I feel BOIGAA uh, are at the appallingly bad yet organised levels we're looking for, Murph. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, I certainly I didn't like their mention of training, but mm. I did like their mention of competitiveness. So we can show up for games, have a decent chance of winning those Just games. lose the structured group element. Yeah, if we could just lose that, then they're very, very close. Actually, there's a, it turns out there's an AFL 11. Um, is there? Well, according to DublinGAA.ie, mm. just looking at the standings here, St. Mark's, top of the table, played 13, won 12, drawn 0, lost 0. No, not interested. Top mm. of the league. <laughs> uh, I don't know where the extra game went, but... Um, it wouldn't have been enough to, uh, to change the table <laughs> in any case. Perhaps a uh, game cancelled. Uh, someone else probably feared uh, rising under the St. Mark's lash. What's on your shoulders, Ken? What's that? You look like you've been sprinkled with something. Something magical. What? Oh, yeah? What is it? The magic of the FA Cup over the weekend, perhaps? Oh, yeah. What's in the football show? That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Oh, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What have you done? I managed to stay alive for six days. Oh, I'd, like I'd, like I'd say it to you, face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man? Well, we talked a lot about the FA Cup matches. Not that much. We didn't talk that much about them, but we did go through a lot of the goals that were scored in those matches. And we also spoke to Jonathan Liu about whether. English football is giving a fair crack of the whip to the English. Some people think that it isn't. And uh, Josh Robinson, who's over in Zurich uh, for the Wall Street Journal, covering uh, the FIFA Best Player of the Year Gala, which is called The Best. Very exciting news, by the way. We'll have a series of guest presenters over the coming weeks, starting with Richie Sadlier on Thursday. So get ready for the Richie Sadlier presented second captains later in the week. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? Mm, That sounds exciting. I mean, I know that he's a hurling fan of long standing, so I can only presume that there would be a lengthy... And perhaps premature uh, preview of the 2017 uh, All Ireland hurling championship. I, I mean, I, what what other interest does Richie Rich have other than football? He's bringing his dog in as well. So there's uh, his other interest. Excellent. That's the most of it then, really, isn't it? Okay. As we mentioned, the first round of the Walsh Cup yesterday finished with Davy Fitzgerald's Wexford five thirty one to UCD's one eight. All Ireland winning manager with Wexford Liam Griffin joins us on the line now. He's a godfather of Wexford hurling. How are you doing, Liam? I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks. Uh, this is exactly the kind of result we like in the first weekend in January. Something we can really, possibly, completely logically get carried away with. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the advice there would be no. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that is the, the typical GA reaction, isn't it? That you try and uh, dampen down whatever hype you get. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah but absolutely. Because um, you, can't let, uh, you can't let people know that you're really... We're really up there, ready to win the All Ireland at this point in the year. It's, uh, mm. it's dangerous, but sure, we definitely are, obviously now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, that's kind. Of, that's kind of it, isn't it? I mean, like Wexford supporters in the past have never needed uh, too much of an excuse to get carried away, and uh, there, <laughs> there, there was a degree of hype when Davy Fitz got the job, and a result like yesterday's, uh, insignificant as it may be. Uh, you know, it, it does actually add to the excitement that, that it has been in the county maybe for the last two or three months. You might maybe tell us a little bit about the reaction over the last couple of months to, to Davy Fitz getting the Wexford job. 
Well, all I tell you is to put me in my place anyway. I couldn't attract 300 people to a match <laughs> in a Welsh Cup match. <laughs> and he attracted 3,000. So I'm really wow. gunning for him for that, you know. Makes, makes me look really <laughs> bad. I know, it's fantastic, you know. And it's been a good buzz since he came there. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, um, nobody in Wexford wanted to do the job, uh, obviously. Now, Liam Dunham did want to go back, but obviously that wasn't acceptable to the county chairman and, uh, and the committee. So that, that didn't happen. But I think Davy brings a, a different, uh, a different uh, edge to it, and um, he's a character, and we need characters in the game, and he's a good character, and he's got a good track record, so it's good for Wexford. I don't think it's a long-term fix, but it's good for Wexford that, uh, that he's coming, and it's good for the game that he's coming. It's good for hurling generally. Uh, do you think it's not a long-term fix, just in the way that all maybe outside of the county boundary uh, appointments are in the GA? Or is is there something more to? I mean, do you think that there's more required yeah. to to get Wexford back up to where they should be? Then? No, no, no. I don't think that. But what I think is that if you look at the if you look at the stats, and we're all looking at stats nowadays, from Phil Jackson to Moneyball, so everything you think of, you know, stats matter. Managers don't last any more than a couple of years in a county, unless just a McCarthy was a long liver in counties, and you know, outside managers tend to move on themselves or or. Uh, time pushes them out as well, but I think I think I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I think if he gets a couple of good years and puts a good squad together, and somebody from Wexford then has got the initiative to come and take it up, that would be a good thing. It would be major progress for Wexford. So I hope he does a job for Wexford. If he wins the All Ireland five years in a row, I won't object. Yeah, I mean, but it, it is interesting though that that idea that um, that you know that as a result of him being from outside. That well, well, really, what I'm trying to say is. Do you think that the fact that he's from uh, outside the county means that he can come in with maybe a clearer picture of what's required than someone who's watched Wexford over the last 10 or 12 years and been gradually maybe beaten down by the, the tenor of the results that have, well, that have occurred in, the, no, in that spell? I don't, I don't think that. I think he has a very good track record. If you look at him in terms of management, like he's got, he's got league finals, he's won them, he's got the Wallerland finals and won them, he's won them against the head, um, which is another important factor. Um, he's been in a relegation battle and lost at Nolan Park by a point. He's got, you know, he's got two All-Ireland medals himself. He's passionate about hurling. Also, there's no bogeymen in Wexford for Davy Fitzgerald. There are bogeymen in your own county always at some stage. And Davy has fallen across a few bogeymen. Some we invent ourselves. Some we, uh, we over worry about their, about their kind of influence. But it's kind of a natural human phenomenon, especially in rural Ireland and especially in, in, in uh, related to county teams. So I just think that He's rid of the bogeyman that he might have. He's back into a county where there's nobody going to be severely harsh on him because they can't afford to be. And I think that's a good fit for Davy and it's a good fit for Wexford. And uh, I think he wanted to stay in inter-county management and there was very few counties that were up for grabs. And Wexford was one of them with, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a, a track record of 21s, not winning All-Irelands, but winning Leinster Championships. So it's a good fit for both parties and both parties have something to gain out of this. So what's not, love, what's not to love about that? Yeah, the the diehards may scoff at uh, the diehard supporters of Wexford uh, might scoff at this, but there is a kind of a box office element to Davy Fitz, um, as you say, three thousand people yeah. at a yeah. at a Walsh Cup game, and that that has merit as well, even from the point of view of selling the idea of being an intercounty hurler to maybe players who who are on the fence as to whether they can commit to six months before you know more than likely getting beaten yeah. in a Leicester semi final by Kilkenny. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. You're absolutely dead right. And the other thing that it does as well is that, you know, 
players at club level and inter-county level, uh, when things are not going well, they always need a new manager. I mean, that's, that's now the regor. I mean, you come in and we need to change the manager. And then the following year, we need to change somebody else. And that, that, that's kind of uh, what's happened. Now, in this instance, um, they've got a new manager now. So the excuse for some of the players that mightn't have been as committed as they should have been or might like to have been, you know, have their own personal grudges because of whatever went before. All that's removed by Davy Cummins. So it freshens everything up, doesn't it? And it brings in a brand new, fresh... He's got no baggage in Wexford and the Wexford players have no baggage against him. So, therefore, that, that makes a good fit for him and, it's, and it's, uh, it was the right thing to do at the end of the day. I saw, like, those of us who'd be very loyal to Liam Dunn and why wouldn't we be? He was a great servant of the county. Might say it would be nice to Liam Dunn get another, uh, another few years, but the bottom line is the county chairman and county committee or whoever selected didn't want them in the end. So, therefore... This is certainly the right was the right move for Wexford at the time. I couldn't say anything else other than it is. Uh, Walsh Cup uh, hammerings aside, uh, he does have a pretty big job on his hands. Limerick at home and Galway away are his first two games in Division Two of the league, and really, it's it becomes more and more important. I think, notwithstanding the fact that there have been uh, teams that have done well in the championship out of Division Two, I think for a team like Wexford. It is important to get out of Division 2 and, and get the standards of opposition <clears throat> up to a level that where they're more comfortable playing the, the best five or six teams in the country. Yeah. Well, without, without, without trying to uh, over-egg the, the situation, Wexford were never were properly relegated. Wexford were put into that division. And actually, if you look back at them, it wasn't fair. But that's the past, and it doesn't matter anymore. But now it's become a major burden to try and get out of that division, as it so happens. So there are people in Wexford who would feel that, that, was, that they were kind of semi-loused by all of this. But look at that sport, and we have to move on. Time moves on. Now, you, I have to say, if we can do anything in the league this year, and if the team can do anything in the league this year, it's going to be a bonus. And I would take the pressure immediately off Davey, if I was a supporter, and say, listen, you just get us a good team together and try and be, make improvements by this time next year and see can we make a bit more progress because we are work in progress and Davey is not going to come in and suddenly wave a wand and we're going to win you know, all around us. Anything he does this year is going to be a bonus. And don't forget, Davey's history, which is one of the downsides to Davey's history, I suppose, if you look at it, is that everybody wants to get Davey as well because they know he's a competitor, they know he's a, he's, he really wants to battle in every match. So, you know, he's not coming in under the radar, so to speak. So Limerick will be able to get Davy and Wexford, and so will Galway be able to get Davy. It won't be there won't be an unknown quantity when they come in. People will, will factor in the Davy factor, and that makes it harder for Davy to make progress. But if he does that well this year, it will be a bonus, and I would see it as such. Perfectly dampened down at the end there, Liam. Well played. Thanks a million for talking to us. Okay, no brother lads. Thanks. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. Liam didn't really approve of being dubbed the godfather of Wexford Hurling there, Murph, did he? Well, I mean, I thought his silence spoke volumes. I mean, he, mm. he certainly he didn't. I mean, he didn't take you to task on it. So, I mean, I would say that that's, that leads that, that leads me to think that that's just an acceptance that. I suppose, yes, I am the godfather of Wexford Hurling. Speaking of GA, Desi Cahill was on Dancing with the Stars last night. Okay, Mark, I, I didn't see this. No, but, I didn't no. see it. Uh, how, how, how'd it go? The judges said that uh, he did really well. Yeah? Yeah. He was shite. He was, <laughs> he was perhaps the worst dancer I've ever seen in my life. We're talking worse than Shane Kerr in the Whelans. That's, that's oh, wow. that levels. He's worse okay. than you even, Murph. Well, uh, <laughs> 
I just felt I had to set the record straight. Anyway, okay, that's all the time we've uh, we've really got for the show today. But don't forget, this isn't the football show. The magpie is renowned as the most intelligent of birds, and eleven magpies would probably have made a better job of this FA Cup tie than humans selected by Steve McLaren. News. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh, Ken's Ghouls. I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> yes, the Ken's Ghouls is available to podcast and stream now in the latest football show with Ken and Murph. Thanks to all of you who got in touch over the past week. Keep emailing to editor at secondcaptains.com and Twitter at secondcaptains. So many of you got in touch uh, about the old American sports gear you used to wear. Niall Mullen said he had a Warren Moon number one Houston Oilers jersey that got nicked from his tent in Fail in 92. He still misses it. And uh, thanks to Daniel Spencer who sent us a disgusting photo of the most disgusting NFL branded pillowcase from the early 80s which looks like it walks into his bed every it night, Murph. It's definitely still alive. Burned. It should be burned. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, lads, and thank you for listening. Tune in for Richie on Thursday. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.